And so the Christmas season is upon us, and it's so great to celebrate it with you, our church family here at Amazing Love. It's a time where I hope and pray that God will restore our sense of hope. Let's talk about hope. Emily Dickinson had this quote when it comes to hope. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. Hope is a marvelous thing that we can see in many different Christmas characters. For example, I I don't know how many of you have seen Frozen 2, but I remember Frozen 1 in this moment. What was Anna hopeful for? Well, to build a snowman, of course. And that hope led her to go around her sister Elsa's door, even sing in the keyhole, because she was excited and hopeful that they were going to play together. It's the hope of children that never stops pestering you. When a child wants something, they will come again and again and again, hopeful that you will say yes. You can see hope in so many different circumstances. Hope is truly a a great thing. And it is said that those who have hope, they have it all, and they can do almost anything because that hope that drives them gives them a grittiness and a determination, kind of making them unstoppable as they hope something will happen. Some of you have met the people that are singing um, that song of hope, that that bird is perched well in their souls. But then there are the hopeless. And if with hope we have everything and can do almost anything, then when we don't have hope, we want to stop it all. We can do almost nothing. Have you ever seen a team lose hope? Team is down, they're getting clobbered. And so you can read it on the faces on the sidelines or in the bench. I think I've seen a few Cubs games this way. They have given up, right? You ever see a hopeless student? A student who just can't get through the homework, who doesn't understand the teacher, doesn't relate to the teacher. They're banging their head against the wall. They're throwing their books and they're saying, what's the point anyway? Hopelessness in adults is... Maybe in the form of cynicism. Cynicism, because a cynic was probably a former dreamer. A dreamer who probably thought dreaming is cute as a child, but it just doesn't work in adulthood, because honestly, some things don't turn out the way you hope for. And it's something that probably doesn't preach very well, but but honestly, there are some prayers that have just never come true. Or at least not yet. And there are things that went down that you think are are just wrong and they shouldn't have gone down that way. And hopelessness is very real. And we struggle. A very hopeless character is that of George Bailey. I don't know if you know him. If you do, you're old school technically. It's a wonderful life. And and he had hope. He was going to go to college. He was going to study in college and go to Europe and, and do all these things. But he stayed with his father's business and Mr. Potter, who didn't treat him very well, and he became very hopeless, wanting to take his life. Yes, when you don't have hope, it feels like you can't do anything. You have nothing. Do you know, King Solomon talks about what happens when hope doesn't come true. In the book of Proverbs, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And another Bible commentator said that Hope deferred is the common cold of the soul. It it is so common because at one point or another, we will all lose hope in something. 
We'll all have an experience that didn't go our way, or at least not how we hoped. We'll all wonder, God, why didn't you answer that prayer, or why haven't you answered it yet? Can you relate so far, or am I being too real? But friends, this is why I love Christmas. This is why it's the most wonderful time of the year, the most magical, and maybe the most hope-filled. Because I don't know your experience with Christmas, but the story is this, that Christmas means hope is fulfilled. It it means we have the the, the right to hope. And I don't know if you should always hope for certain things to happen in life. I'm not sure you should hope that there will be a Lexus in your driveway on Christmas. I always laugh at those commercials. They're still going. Who does that? Uh, I'm not sure you should hope that you're going to go to Europe for vacation. I'm not sure you should have a ton of earthly hopes. But when you hope in the Lord, your hope is not misplaced. When you hope in the Lord, those hopes and those dreams are safe. In fact, the Bible reveals this. Those who hope in the Lord, they can then renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and walk and not be faint. In fact, biblical hope is so much different. Biblical hope is a certainty. It's just a matter of time. It's kind of like saying, I hope there will be Christmas Eve in 2019. Now, it's just a matter of time before it comes. Or it's like saying, I I hope I'll have something to eat. Um, Yeah, that's a matter of time before I eat something again. Hope in the Bible is something you're so sure of, it just hasn't happened yet. So sure is biblical hope. And I guess this reason this series is so important is because I I wonder, what are the type of people God wants us to be? Does he want us to be hopeless and dejected? Struggling on, on what to do and how to do it because we don't see any point? Or does he want us to have hope? I think you know the answer. Paul even said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. We are to be a people of hope. You know, one of the reasons I was inspired to do this sermon series is because I heard another sermon. And, and the pastor just used two words that, that inspired me. They were the words, dream again. See, see, I'm a dreamer at heart. But I know what it is when a prayer doesn't get answered, or at least not in my timeline. I'm a dreamer who wants God to do Immeasurably more. And when it comes to the Lord, I do think we have the right, you have the right, to dream again. Because Christmas assures us, you can dream again, God, he's with you. He showed up, he was not absent. Dream again, God is on your side. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. This through his son. Dream again, because that immeasurably more is not something that Christians just toss around. It is something written in the Bible that God wants to do for us, more than we can ask or imagine, and so we can hope when our hope is in the Lord. The season of Christmas, may he restore our hope. How he does it? Through the word. So let's turn there now. As we turn to the word of God, we get the story of uh, a couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, And and their hopes seem to be deferred until an angel shows up and and changes the story. 
It's recorded before you. Uh, you're invited to follow along either on the worship folder or the screen. Uh, here it says, In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. But now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. These are the powerful words that we can consider. Uh, could you turn to the person next to you and just tell them, hope is alive. Hope is alive. Recently I heard a story of a man who dedicated his life to serving God. Uh, he was at Wheaton College. don't know if you've ever been there. His name is Richard. And he dreamed of serving the Lord full-time with his life. He was well on his way because at Wheaton College, he wrote a book uh, based on the Bible, the, the book of Job. And through some connections, he got connected to Philip Yancey. Have you heard of Philip Yancey? Prolific Christian author. Wrote many great books. And, and this first uh, published edition was given to Philip Yancey to, to edit before it came out. Philip Yancey was struck by the wisdom found in what Richard wrote, and they had a meeting lined up before it was going to be released. And as he met with Richard that day, Richard blurted out, I hate God. No, I don't actually believe that. I don't believe in God. That's what he said. This was not the meeting Philip Yancey had expected. Philip Yancey expected to talk about the wisdom found in the book of Job and the release of the book. But as Richard went on, he, he shared with Yancey his prior experience, what happened most recently. Richard had a job lined up after college, but it was given to someone else who he thought was less deserving. So now he has no plans after college. Richard had a fiancé named Sharon. And Sharon was a huge part of his faith experience. They would pray together and they would dream about how they were going to serve the Lord someday. But Sharon had just called it off. 
the marriage would never take place. And during this time, it brought up all the experience he had in the past of rejection when his parents separated. All his other problems, his physical ailments and disabilities. All of these things were bubbling to the surface and blocking his hope to the point where he blurted out, I hate God, wait, I don't mean that, I just don't believe in him. It's an interesting story. And it's a story I share as a pastor because I do believe that, that it is common to feel disappointed with God. That was the name of Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. There are experiences that happen that, that don't go as we hoped. They don't align with our dreams for our life. Now, as a pastor, let's work through this a little bit. One of the first things I would share with you is that we always need the fear of the Lord. We need to humble ourselves to His will for our lives over our will for our lives. Humble ourselves knowing that He is still the God treating us better than we deserve. But do you know why I think we might get disappointed? I have a theory if you'll go with me. I think one of the theories of why we get disappointed is because we, we believe that if we serve God well enough, if we give, if we dedicate our time, our life, or maybe even our money, then as a quid pro quo, um, he is going to do something for us. Have you ever believed this? God, I am here, I am serving, I am worshiping, and because of that, what you should give me is some sort of pass. Let's call it a problem-free pass. A get-out-of-jail-free pass. God, I'm here, I'm serving, so you should give me what I want when I want it. But what is earthly experience? Well, to disrupt this theory, I, I'm a pastor who knows my father's a pastor and my father-in-law is a pastor and brothers are pastors. I, I know very much uh, people who have dedicated their lives in service of the Lord. And what I can tell you is that when you dedicate your life in service to the Lord, there's not a pass. Surprise. In fact, I have pastor friends who have lost children and lost spouses. I have pastor friends who have debilitating diseases. Those who've gone through bankruptcy and are, are facing crippling debt. Those who have real struggles just as anyone else, even though they're dedicating their lives in service to the Lord and maxing it out day by day by day, there's no pass. And maybe that's important to understand, that there is no pass for great obedience. Just because we are faithful and dedicated and give and serve and love and worship, it doesn't mean that we're going to get a problem-free pass. And if anyone would back up this point, it would be Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let's get back to the word of God. What do we know about them? It says, there was a priest named Zechariah dedicating his life to the Lord. Belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, so his family was a bunch of pastors dedicating their lives to the Lord. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. Do you remember Aaron? Great prophet at the time of Moses. The one who holed up Moses' arms. The, the, the one who, again, really helped. These are significant servants when it comes to the kingdom of God. Not only that, but they weren't hypocrites. Because sometimes in church you can have the hypocrites, and I, I get it. But, but these were people who walked the walk and talked the talk to such a degree that anyone who knew them said, wow, they're above reproach. 
Not that they're perfect. There is no one perfect except for Jesus. But what it says is they were observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. No one could find any fault with what they were doing. And so here's what I expect verse 7 to say. And so they lived a charmed life. They got all the doorbusters on Black Friday. Their fridge is always stocked with Thanksgiving leftovers. They were blessed by the Lord because they had dedicated their lives and they were blameless. But that's not what it says. What's it say? But they were childless. Elizabeth not able to conceive and they were both very old. Something they had hoped and dreamed and prayed for. It just never happened for them. And it was a burden even though they were obedient. Now, why is this so significant to us? It's significant to us because of this point that I I think they would share with us. They would probably say, through the lens of Scripture, remain faithful to God even when circumstances are not in your favor. The encouraging word is that he is still worth it regardless of what is going on in your life, regardless of what you thought would work out better or worse. He, he, it's still worth it to be faithful to God in the face of all your disappointment and all the so-called unanswered prayers. It's why I value a mature faith. Don't you see the maturity of both Zachariah and Elizabeth? I, I think the older I get, the more I have a different vision of what's really cool. Would anyone relate to that? Like the older you get, like your definition of cool changes, right? And what I used to think was cool, these these trite trophies of celebrities and these goals that are basically good for nothing because we all age and whatever anyway, um, I replace now with, with consideration of a mature faith and how awesome it is to have a mature faith. Have you ever met someone who's just rooted and grounded in a way that is inspiring? (laughs) My wife and I were watching a special on Dolly Parton. (laughs) That's mature faith. Uh, She she knows the Lord and she's been through some things and and she speaks on a different level that is somewhat admirable if you actually hear her speak of the Lord. Mature faith. And I'm inspired by it because... I think many Christians today, and and I would consider myself included in that category, have periods of immaturity. We serve God kind of like children who serve their parents when they want to get something, right? Has that ever happened? Christmas is approaching, and so your kids are trying to be really, really good. Uh, You know, mom and dad, I, I, I cleaned my room, I did the dishes, I did the laundry. Can I have the iPad for Christmas now? Right? You ever been there? And so I wonder how true this is also to our default Christian experience. God, I prayed, I worshiped, I did. Can can I get what I want now? Can it be a season of favor now? Whereas there's a child who serves just because they love. Or a parent, maybe that's a better illustration. A parent who serves just because they love. And this is someone who doesn't serve because they're going to get something. They serve because they've signed up, you know, based on their heartstrings to do something for that one. That's mature faith. Mature faith is, is Christians who say, because I'm committed in love for the Lord, I'm going to serve regardless of what I get and regardless of how it turns in my favor. 
And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they tell us, remain faithful. Even if circumstances don't back up what the Lord is doing. But something happened. It didn't stay this way. In fact, an angel appeared. Gabriel from the sky. And I don't know if you've ever wanted an angel to appear to you. Uh, It's interesting that most people who saw an angel thought they were going to die. Uh, So whenever an angel appears in scripture, their first words are normally, don't be afraid. (laughs) Right? You're not going to die. Right? Um, But out of this this silence of of wondering, does God even see? Does God even care? Gabriel uh, shows up and he says these fantastic words. Your prayers have been heard. Verse 13. I know you didn't feel it. I know you didn't know it. But you need to know God in heaven has heard. Now this is so significant. In fact, to draw out how significant Gabriel's appearance is right here, I need to go with you on a little bit of church history, if that's okay. Earlier this year, we did a series uh, called The Good Work, if you're here. Um, It was based on the book of Nehemiah, and how in 400 B.C., Nehemiah was sent out of captivity back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah lived around 430 B.C., and the prophet Malachi was one of the last prophets that we hear about in the Old Testament. 433 B.C. is when he writes his book. But now it's been centuries until God has said anything. It's about 5 A.D. that the angel Gabriel appears. And some say that this period of history from 432 to 5 uh, A.D., that was the silent years. And it's not just that they were silent, it was that they were years of suffering. Alexander the Great and the Greeks, they came in 332. And they tried to root out all Jewish tradition and even Jewish religion. Under a man named Antichus, one of uh, Alexander the Great's followers, Antichus tried to get rid of all of Jewish religion, even the Torah, trying to eliminate it and force uh, sacrifice to the Greek god of Zeus. This led to a revolt by Israel, Judas Maccabeus, if you've heard of that, the Maccabean Revolt. And for about 100 years, they had a little bit of independence. But then in 63 B.C., Pompey from Rome came in, sieged Jerusalem, and desecrated the temple. To the priests who were on duty in the temple, he would slaughter them, and he would totally shame the God of Israel. So from 432 B.C. to 5 A.D., not only is there silence, but there is oppression and there is suffering. The temple is desecrated. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are serving in that era before Gabriel shows up. That was most of their lives, wondering, God, what are you up to? Now why is that significant? It's significant because of this. That when heaven seems silent... Heaven still hears. Those silent years weren't really silent. God knew what was happening to his people, and he had a plan that would be revealed in due time. But why you and I need to hear this is because if you've ever wondered what God was up to in a season of suffering and why it felt so cold and barren, you are not unnormal, but rather this is a normal experience. Sometimes heaven feels silent. And that's why when we talk about hope, this whole series is really about the matter of faith. Faith to believe. Faith to trust. Faith to hold out hope 
that God still loves me and is still with me even when it doesn't feel that way. But dear friends, I don't know about you, I don't always pass this test. Don't pass the test. It's easy to doubt. It's easy to not be obedient if it's not going my way. Easy to give all these reasons why I should just give up and maybe like Richard have a season where I'm hearing from God but I'm not really listening to God if you know what I mean. Because I don't have much hope. If you've ever been there in this season as we look forward to Christmas, what we should begin with is repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for all the times I doubted when heaven seemed silent. Lord, I'm sorry for all the times I didn't understand and maybe even accused you in my confusion. Because let me tell you about Christmas. Christmas is the idea that into the silence heaven spoke. See, God put a star in the sky that would light the way to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And when the light of the world was born, the heavens roared. The angels appeared and said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And we see Jesus. Jesus who walked and talked and glorified the Father. And so if we ever wondered what is God up to and what would God be like, we look at Jesus and say, that's what you're like. That's what it would have been like to walk with you. That's how patient and good and loving you are. And this Jesus was faithful to us and faithful to the Father, even though it didn't lead to favor for him. That faithfulness led him to the cross so that we could be forgiven and restored as a people of peace on, on the people that whom God's favor rests. Dear friends, God has spoken. In fact, he's never been silent. The promises of the Messiah were always there. They were fulfilled in Jesus, and we still have them. In fact, as we correlate all the promises that they stack up in Jesus, we look into things that angels would have longed to know as we can connect the dots to fulfillment. So the story of Christmas, it means that when we hope in the Lord, we don't hope in vain. And so at this point, I guess I could say amen, but I'm not going to. I guess I could say, though, that heaven has always spoken. So your experience, you're, you're putting above what, what God has revealed in his word. Remember that the next time you're in a season of suffering, heaven has always spoken through that revealed word. But what should we do the next time we're experiencing that silence and we're experiencing that suffering? I wanted to tell you a story. It's a story of someone who is having open heart surgery. And during this open heart surgery, uh, the heart completely stopped and they could not resuscitate that heart. It would not start beating. And so the surgeon leaned over and he did something kind of strange. He whispered in the patient's ears these words. He said, we need your help. We cannot get your heart started. Tell your heart to stop beating, to start beating. And this unconscious patient came back to life. This unconscious patient somehow heard these words, and it was the simple speaking of the words into that, that vacuum that, that led the heart to start beating once again. A remarkable story. 
Dear friends, the reason I bring it up is because maybe if our hope has stopped beating like that, that patient's heart, what we need to do, we need to speak into the silence. We need to speak for heaven the things that heaven has already revealed to us. So if you're ever in a silent period, what, what God really admires is a faith that says, but you have revealed this, and so when you don't speak, I will for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. To prosper you, not to harm you. To give you hope in a future. As far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed our guilt from us. My God works all things for the good for those called according to his purpose. When it seems silent, we speak into that silence what heaven has already revealed. And maybe then our hope can beat again. But to close, one final story. It's a story of a farm lady in the 1970s. This lady had 11 children. And one day as uh, the husband was out on the tractor, the tractor turned over and he died. The bank was about to foreclose on their home. She had a loaf of bread left and it was two weeks before Christmas. This lady in the 1970s lived in Ohio. She went out to the Ohio River and she was about to have her own George Bailey moment and jump in. But it's then that she saw a Coke bottle with a cork on it. Picked it up, without the cork, and she read the note that was inside of it. There in a note she found this verse from Ecclesiastes. It said, anyone who is among the living has hope. For even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. The note went on to speak many scriptures about how we become the sons and daughters of God. About who God was and what he's done for us. Now, these Coke bottles were put together in 1965 by a gal named Mrs. Gauze. She was in Cocoa Beach. And in 1965, she released 200 of these Coke bottles filled with these encouraging notes. And five years later, this Coke bottle took a path that was unknown to get to Ohio. So at just the right moment, this lady could hear the word that she needed. The word that let her hope beat again. I'm hoping this Christmas that's what God does in our hearts. For all of those who are honestly disappointed, wondering if hopelessness is a better option, that God would speak at just the right time through the story of Christmas to make your hope beat again. For heaven hears, and heaven has answered, and answered most beautifully in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.